evening. Father, thank you for uh, our children. Lord, uh, it's easy to think of the difficulties of the world that our children are being raised in. But then we think of the time of Christ. What a difficult time. Nation in captivity. Darkness ruled the world. And people were raising children. And so, Lord, I pray you'd keep us focused as we raise children, as we encourage as grandparents our, uh, our children, as they raise their children, whatever the case may be, that you are still on your throne. You are in control. You will lose none, the Lord Jesus said, that was given to him. May we stay focused and follow you and continue to point these little souls, their little spiritual faces towards the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for those who work with them throughout the year, Lord, and may you bless them. May parents find great encouragement of those others that come alongside them and help them. Lord, thank you for your word, especially this time of year, to uh, work our way through all the craziness the world gloms onto, but we can see such truth in God's word when it comes to Christmas time. May you encourage us with that again tonight, in Jesus' name, amen. Many of the Christmas songs, as you sing them, you can hear the announcement of a king. It's not hard to hear them. Many of them had them in them today. I jotted down just a few just to get my mind thinking about it today. Uh, we three kings, you know that one, the second verse says, born a babe of Bethlehem's plain, excuse me, on Bethlehem's plain, gold we bring to, uh, gold we bring to crown him again, king forever, never ceasing, Rule us all to reign. The fifth verse, it says, Glorious now, behold him arise, King and God and sacrifice. Heaven sings, hallelujah, hallelujah, earth replies. We just sang, hark the herald angels sing. I don't know if you picked that up. Four times we sang, glory to the newborn king. In the third verse, we said, hail to the heaven-born prince of peace. Hail the son of righteousness. That beautiful song, Joy to the World, which was a unique arrangement that the kids sang. First verse says, Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let the earth receive her king. Fourth verse says, He rules the earth with truth and grace. There's a ruling aspect of the Lord Jesus Christ. Many other songs you know that speak of Jesus as the king of angels. These are all Christmas hymns we sing. The rod of Jesse. Thou key, thou key of David, fall on your knees. That would be something you would do before a king. The king of kings lays thus in lowly manger. Behold your king, behold him lowly bend. Alleluia to our king. Born is the king of Israel. These are all phrases, right? This, this is Christ, the king. King of kings, salvation brings, let loving hearts enthrone him. This is the truth we sing because this is what the scriptures speak of. Um, all through our Old Testament, as we study our biblical theology, there's the announcement of a coming Lord Jesus Christ, isn't there? The prophets spoke of him, announced his birth. We looked at that this last Sunday, particularly Isaiah chapter 7. Uh, we focused in on that announcement, a, a near announcement to wicked King Ahaz, who ends up in the line of Christ. But there's a further, a further fulfillment of that, speaking of our precious Lord Jesus Christ. 
I was thinking this morning as I was working on this, I thought in Genesis 4, when Adam and Eve have their first child, they say, God has given us a son. It's almost that they're thinking about, is this the one you spoke about who would crush the head of the serpent? They knew how difficult that situation was. They knew what sin had done. They were longing for this coming king. The angels announced the birth of Jesus in a spectacular way, both to Joseph, Mary, and shepherds. Daniel had a great influence on probably these Persian kings who show up as what we would call wise men or magi, who show up to worship Jesus Christ as king. Even wicked King Herod knew he was up against a king. That's why he wanted him dead. And he sends soldiers to kill little boys under two. Simeon and Anna long awaited the king of Israel, didn't they? And Jesus is brought to them. Our Lord, our Father in heaven, God, he announces the kingship of the Lord Jesus Christ. Psalms chapter 2. But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion. My holy mountain, I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will surely give you the nations of your inheritance. And the very end of the earth as your possession. Listen to this. You shall break them with a rod of iron. Now we're going out in the future, aren't we? And you shall shatter them like earthenware. Now, therefore, O kings, presidents of countries, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence and worship with trembling. Do homage to the Son. Hear that kingship idea here. That he will not become angry and you perish in the way for his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are those who take refuge in him. Wow, what a statement, huh? On the kingship of the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 14, promises a descendant who will reign forever in his kingdom will have what? No end. It's an amazing, isn't it? Well, did Jesus declare his own birth in his own kingship? How did he handle that? Well, over and over, we find the word sent by the Father. John and Jesus refer to this, particularly in the book of John. John chapter 3, verse 34 through 36. For he whom God has sent, that he is Jesus, whom God has sent. Anytime you see that word, you begin to understand he is talking about the advent of the Lord Jesus Christ. Too many Christians think that Jesus just showed up at the time when he's 33 and he was, you know, and all of a sudden took on a body and things. It's amazing how people get the incarnation wrong. Every time the Bible says that he sent him, it is referring to his entire incarnation. And so John says here, for he, Jesus, whom God had sent, speaks the words of God. For he gives the spirit without measure. The father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. He who believes in the son has eternal life. But he who does not obey the son will not see life. But the wrath of God abides on him. Again, later in that probably most deepest theological passage of the book of John, chapter 5, we find these words, verse 23, so that all who honor the Son, even as they honor the Father, he who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father. And listen to this, who sent him? He's sent. He speaks of his own sending. Verse 24, truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my words and believes him who sent me. You can preach on Christmas all day long and just track down that word sent. 
1 John chapter 4, verse 9, by this love, by this, the love of God is manifested in us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. Well, those are verses referring to Jesus being sent. They certainly have a reflection of his advent, of his coming, his incarnation, and then into his ministry, and then into his life, his death, his resurrection, and and then his eternal rule. But what about Jesus? Did Jesus ever talk about his birth? Did he ever talk about his kingship? Look at John chapter 18. I want to dive into verse 37, but give you a little bit of background before we get there, because there it says that he was, he says himself, I was born a king. We want to unpack that this evening just for a few minutes together, but just so you know the context of what's going on, Jesus, Jesus has been arrested the night before, he's been paraded through a private, illegal nighttime trial at the houses of the high priest and the former high priest. He's then taken before the Sanhedrin, still at night, still illegal, and he is brought, charges are brought by the council of elders. Then he is taken to his first appearance at Pilate. Each of these, he's being mocked, spit on, and beaten, and his appearance is changing as time goes on. After Pilate's done with him his first time, he sends him off to his enemy, Herod, who is now his friend because of their mutual hatred for Jesus. After Herod humiliates him, he sends him back. And this is where we find Jesus in front of Pilate for the second time. This is the morning of his death. Verse 33, we drop into it here. Therefore, Pilate entered again into the praetorium and summoned Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Well, these charges against Jesus were First, that he was a traitor and he was a troublemaker. He was going to condemn and destroy the, the temple. But the Jews knew those charges wouldn't stick, and they knew that those charges would not put him to death, not with the Roman government. And so what the religious leaders did is they began to circulate that Jesus is a threat to Caesar. This is why later they say, if, they don't, if, they, if Pilate doesn't crucify him, he's, they're no friend of Caesar. They're putting extreme pressure on Pilate to crucify Jesus. And because of this, Pilate asks, are you the king of the Jews, right? He's asking now. He's been, he's been pushed into a corner. He doesn't like this. But he's being pushed into a corner to try to figure out who this Jesus is. And is he a king? And is he a threat? Because if he is and I don't deal with it correctly, I'm in a lot of trouble. Look at verse 34. Jesus answered, are you saying this on your own initiative? Or did other people tell you about me? Our Lord is being somewhat facetious here. He knows who's behind these new charges. He knows exactly where these questions are coming from. And so he returns a question. Our Lord does that so well. And his goal is to expose that there is a group of people that have been seeking for a long, long time to destroy me. And you can read it through the scriptures. Time and time again, they, they plotted how they would destroy him or kill him. And Jesus is exposing this, right? And this suggests to us, when we read verse 34, is that Pilate is being heavily influenced by these men behind the curtain, in a sense. They're trying to get Pilate to do what they can't do. 
And they hate Jesus. Verse 35, Pilate answered, Am I not a Jew? Am I? Your own nation and chief uh, priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus, again, knows who's behind this. And Pilate is not happy with Jesus exposing in verse 34 that, where'd you get this from? You're being manipulated. Jesus is pointing out, and Pilate's not happy with that. And so he comes back with a kind of uh, rude statement. Am I not a Jew, am I? In a sense, he's trying to get back control of the conversation. He's trying to get his pride back. We have to know that Pilate knew Jesus was not a revolutionist. I mean, he's sitting before him, bloodied and beaten. He's meek, like a lamb led to slaughter. Pilate was arrogant and full of pride, but he wasn't a fool. He was a governor. And he knew that this king issue could be trouble for him. This could be trouble. And he could lose all that power and all that position. So he says, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus Jesus knows who he is. And Pilate here in verse 35 is trying to clarify, hey, I got a problem. These people are saying this. Your own people have delivered you over. Your own nation. These are your people, particularly this chief priest and his cronies, this Sanhedrin. And I, I, listen, Pilate knew that there was an envy of power. Jesus was a threat to them. And he knows that. But they've cornered him here. And, and so I, I, you can't help but understand. I, in fact, there's no one who says Jesus is more innocent in the Bible than Pilate. And I think Pilate in his heart knew that Jesus was in, innocent. And so he, he's doing his diligence to say, what have you done? Are you, are you proclaiming yourself to be king? Look at verse 36. Jesus answers, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Well, notice in response to the question, what have you done? Jesus doesn't actually answer that question. He goes back to the original question. <laughs> he goes back to verse 33, are you king of the Jews? Jesus hasn't done anything. He's not done anything wrong. He's sinless. In fact, that's what Pilate will announce over and over. He'll wash his hands of it. He'll say this man is innocent. So he doesn't answer that question, what have you done? Because he's done nothing wrong. But he brings them back to the question of, are you king of the Jews? And it's clear that Pilate knew that Jesus understood. He wants, wants him to understand, you know you're being forsaken by your own people, by your own nation, by the leaders of your religious kind. And they're bringing these charges against you. And are you a political and religious threat to the crown of Rome? So Jesus takes this opportunity. And it sets him up to explain his position as a true king. And his statement is fascinating, isn't it? He says, Jesus himself just says, I have a kingdom, but it's not of this world. I have a spiritual kingdom. Look at that in verse 36. 
There's a key pronoun. It's used three times in there in front of the word kingdom, my kingdom. His kingdom is so different than Pilate's. His is not visual like theirs would be. In fact, Christ's kingdom at this point was living in the hearts and the lives of those who listen to and obey the truth. But, but this word for my kingdom, my kingdom, we could translate it my kingship, my ownership of the hearts and souls of people consists of those who listen to me, love me, and obey me. They're not like your kingdom. And I think this is important because the kingship of Jesus was not like that of the earth. It did not come out of the earth. It was not given by earthly power. It wasn't a king who overthrew another king. It wasn't a king who got elected by his people. And so Jesus' kingship was not like Pilate's in any way who had control of all these physical Roman soldiers and, and Jews and other nations that were underneath his charge that he could do whatever he wanted with. That's not what his kingdom was like. Jesus' kingship ruled in the hearts of those whom his father sovereignly gave him, whom he said, whatever the father gives me, I will lose none of them. He knew exactly who was part of his kingdom, but they weren't part of this world. In fact, he knew if they were, if it was true that his kingdom was in the world at that point, boy, would they take up arms. And that kingdom would not only include those who believed in Jesus as their Savior, Messiah, but it would also bring angels, <laughs> very powerful angels that could wipe out the armies of the world. But our Lord, as king, knew the sovereign plan of God. And that sovereign plan of God was for a lamb to go to the slaughter without a word or without a fight. That was the plan of the Father. But then we get to this verse, and this is the verse I'm after. There's such amazing statements here just to, to contemplate and think during this Christmas season. Verse 37, therefore Pilate said to him, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Well, what a statement here. You've said correctly. You've said correctly. If Jesus was trying to take a non-committal, step back, let this blow over type position, uh, he wouldn't have made this statement. He's going to the cross. And he knows the Father's plan. And so he comes out and Jesus is saying to Pilate, you got one thing right in all that you've said so far. You've missed most of it. But you got one thing right, that this prisoner who you hold in front of you, he possesses all the authority and all the rule of a king. And I'm it. It's quite a statement, isn't it? Jesus was not a person who claimed his kingship by wiping out his predecessor as the kings of the Old Testament did. Or some revolution. No, look what it says there in verse 37. No, Jesus was born a king. He was born a king. In fact, he was born for this very purpose, to be a king. Now here is the key. Jesus was born just like any man. That's why we 
celebrate this. This is the incarnation of Christ. This is the the absolute necessity of the Lord Jesus Christ to come into this world through a miraculous conception, but a natural birth, live a perfect life, 33 years in this life without sin. He's completely man. It is his incarnation, isn't it? And it's beautiful, isn't it? He was born. The world misses that, don't they? They'll sing it. There's even manger scenes on their lawns and things like that, but they don't know who's in that cradle, do they? There's a king in that cradle. A king who will one day rule with an iron rod. He will separate sheep and goats. He will bring judgment upon this world. And he will gather to himself in the most glorious fashion all those who will have faith in him. He's a king. And he says, look, Pilate, you got one thing right. I am a king. But I was born so I can die. If he's never born, if he's just the Lord of glory who shows up, you're not going to be able to kill him. He's human, isn't he? He's fully man. And this is what makes Christmas so special, that we have one who identifies with us, one who represents Scott. He represents you. He comes in flesh and blood. He suffers and and without sin, he, he's reviled, but does not revile in turn. He's threatened, but keeps trusting himself to the one who judges righteously. He is our God-man, isn't he? And it all for us, in a sense, though we don't understand the eternal plan of God as we study biblical theology, it really all starts in a lot of ways as we look into that manger scene. And there he is, born human, but he's an eternal king. I don't know if that gets you excited like it does me, but it's what fascinates me Christmas after Christmas when I think about the incarnation of Jesus. We would do it different, wouldn't we? We would just show up and say, you people are going to hell, I'll keep a few of you. (laughs) He didn't do it that way. He's got to bring us to the Father through a sacrifice. And that's himself. But notice in the verse, too, that it tells us that he is a king. He says, you've said correctly, I am a king. For this I have been born. For this I have come into the world. What an amazing statement. He was born for the very purpose of being a king. And here he is born human, completely man. But he came into the world from another realm. Think about that. He doesn't come from our realm. He comes from another realm, namely where? Heaven. There's a point in time where our Savior, our King, steps out of heaven, comes to the world He created to live a perfect life and die for us. But look, He comes from another realm. That means He's completely God. Humans don't come from another realm, right? Some of the wild religions out there. But that's not, we know that's not true. You and I came from our parents. Right? And they came from their parents and so forth. And we can go all the way back to Adam and Eve, can't we? Humans come from humans, not Jesus. He came from heaven. That's why so many times the Bible says, the Father sent me, the Father sent me, the one who sent me. Do you believe in the one who sent me? Over and over, we see the kingship of the Lord Jesus Christ, and this is very encouraging. So our Lord steps out of the splendor and glory of heaven, 
to sins to a sin-cursed world? We don't miss that when we sing, don't we? I mean, we see so many songs that speak of the darkness of the world and the light of Jesus coming. And that's our Lord stepping out of heaven, and there he takes upon himself to be the sacrifice, the substitute, the mediator, a role for us between the Father and the Son. And, and by his finished work, he'll bring us through his own blood into the presence of the Father. And that's who those children were singing about today. They were singing about the one who began his earthly life in a manger. And look, if you are saved here, you only come through the way, the truth, and the life, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no other way to the Father. Paul gives an amazing thought here that when you start to think about this particular verse, and maybe in your Bible, write this cross-reference next to John 18, 37. Let me read this to you. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 13. I charge you in the presence of God, Paul's talking to young Timothy, who gives life to all things, what amazing statement, and of Christ Jesus, who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate. When you study all of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all say, he, he says, I was born a king. None of, none of them have this whole statement, this whole conversation. John records this for whatever reason. So Paul is reminding Timothy and reminding us by the inspiration of the Scripture that there is a good confession here. And here's the good confession, that Jesus came from another realm. He did not come from this world. He came from his Father. He came from the right hand of the throne. He came from his equality. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, stood equality with him, and the Word was God, and he steps out of heaven. He comes here to this earth, and this is the confession that he makes. I was born. That's the confession that he's making. We confess that as well. We confess the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't confess some spirit being came and invaded somebody. We don't confess any of those false teachings. We confess that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin by a miraculous conception of the Holy Spirit that protected him from the sin nature of Mary and Joseph because Joseph withheld his, parental, his marital rights. We, we, we confess that, and that's what, that's what Paul is referring to, what Jesus does. I was born. I came in, in the incarnation, but I'm also a king. I am ruler. I have all authority given to me by my Father. And you do nothing unless the Father allows it. He's going to tell him in John chapter 19. He's king, isn't he? And that's the confession he makes. And that's why Paul reminds Timothy, don't forget that confession. Go back and look at that confession. Live your life according to that confession. Oh, we could talk all night about that. I think his writing, Paul's writing in Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 and following, flushes that out even greater. He says, who, although he, Jesus, existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grass. He did not hang on to that. He veiled it and, and allowed himself to, to step out of heaven and take on humanity. He has to do this. They can't kill him, right? They won't be able to kill him. But he emptied himself. He veils that glory and taken on the form of a bondservant. Look at the terms that Paul puts it. When we look at that baby in the manger, now in this 
sinful world, he takes on this bondservant. He's a bondservant to the Father's glorious, sovereign plan, right? And being made in the likeness of men, he was just like us. He had ten toes and ten fingers, and, and, and he had eyes, and he thought, and he, and he learned, and he grew in stature, and all of those things. Being found in that appearance, he humbled himself. Okay, Father, this is the plan. I'm going to become obedient, even to the point of death, even to the death of a cross. But because of that, and here comes the kingship, right? So this passage, like the charge in 1 Timothy 6 in Jesus' statement in John 18, 37, has twofold. There's an incarnation in here, and then there is the kingship. Verse 9, for this reason also God highly exalted him. He made him king of kings. And he bestowed on him the name that is above every name, above the Pilots, the Herods, the Bidens, and everybody else who thinks they're somebody. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Nobody's name could ever be said of all of creation will bow to. He's king, isn't he? That's who's in the manger. That's who we're singing about. Those on heaven, those on earth and under the earth, dead or alive, no matter where they're at, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. And let me add the summation titles to that statement. He is king of kings, Lord of lords. That's who's in the manger. And you notice at the end, he says, this is I was born, and this I've come into the world. Look at this. To testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Praise the Lord. We've heard the truth. Praise the Lord. Christmas is so different, isn't it, for us? It, 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 it's hope and light and peace and worship and children singing of our gracious and great Lord and Savior and God and King. I mean, these things have changed us forever because he let us hear the truth, didn't he? I love that last phrase, everyone who is of the truth. A prepositional phrase denoting position, Right? We're of the truth versus those who are of a lie. There's the father of lies, and then there's the father of truth. It's always separated on a lie and truth. And the world lies long enough and loud enough where most people believe them. But God has a remnant of people, he always has, who are of the truth. And when we study the incarnation, when we study the impeccable life of the Lord Jesus Christ, when we study that true salvation comes through his death, burial, and resurrection, and his work is finished, we add nothing to it, we are people of the truth. Amen? So as you look into that manger scene, time and time again, this holiday season with your children or grandchildren, or maybe... Maybe by yourself on Christmas. I don't know what all your situations are. We have a quiet house at our house this year. But we will look into that and we'll say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for the truth. Thank you for making us of the truth. What a joy. That's a great season to be knowing our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you just for this scene that we just kind of dropped in at the end of Jesus' earthly life. There he is. He's been mocked and beaten and spit on. His body doesn't resemble the Jesus that walked on the earth the last three years. 
And right in the middle of that, in the middle of that, he makes the good confession, I was born. I took on humanity. There was no other way to save my children. I stepped out of the realm of heaven, and I became man. I added humanity to my deity and held them in perfect harmony so I could die for all the elect. And then he reassures us that he's king because this is why I was born, to be king. And not just a king, but the king of kings because every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Lord, thank you for this beautiful Christmas passage in the middle of the trial of Jesus. May we keep seeing truth throughout the word of God and rejoice in it, Lord. I pray you bless these dear folks that are here tonight. Give them strength to worship you through this season. Keep our eyes focused on you. And may we continue to exalt your son until we see him one day. In Jesus' name, amen.